Welcome to Reflection as a Service, the podcast for entrepreneurship and software engineering. I'm here. My name is Paul Merrill with my co-host, James Jeffers. Hello. And tonight on the podcast, we're going to be doing something different. Uh, a lot of times we'll have guests on that have uh, created certain products or services out there. And tonight we're having my co-host on as a guest. So tonight, James Jeffers and his wife, Mickey, will be talking about their new service that they've launched um, and I'm really excited about talking about that. So, uh, so James, how how has it been going? Did you see Star Wars yet? We have not. We are waiting uh, until we get to Florida. We're going down there for Christmas. So we've had uh, multiple people saying, "Yeah, we're going today." Hey, we're going this afternoon. Uh, but we're uh, we're actually going to go with some family. So, well, that's going to be awesome. I saw you know I, I saw it last night, and it is it's a good show, and I won't give any spoilers because that's just wrong. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a good good movie. I hope uh, hope you guys enjoy it with your family. I think we will. I have to convince Mickey that um, perhaps the Jar Jar um, outfit is not appropriate for. The <laughs> I don't think so. I hope hopefully he dies in this episode, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> excellent. Well, you know, we're, let's get let's get going here. I have a couple of notes before we get going. On uh, the twenty seventh of January, I'm going to be speaking at Tritog, and it's an open forum on what I call data strategies for automated testing. And I'm looking for as many automated testers in the area to come out to Tritog. You can find it on Meetup. Dot com. It's um, the Triangle Test Automation Users Group, and we usually meet over at Bronto. This will be at Bronto on the 27th of January. So love to get some folks out there. In March, the Tisca Conference is coming up in Chapel Hill, and I'll be speaking there as well. Um, and, you know, James, I thought we should take a minute before we get started to thank our listeners. We have had over 274 listens, I believe, now. And I don't know about you, but I never would have thought that we would get that many people listening to us. It's it's kind of surprising. It is to me. And each one of those people is putting the time in to at least start listening. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and I appreciate each one of them. So, um, you know, I, I know you're like me and you want some feedback. Yep. If, if folks have an idea about stuff they've liked or didn't like, or if there's things you'd like us to talk about that you don't dare talk about with your family and friends, let us know and we'll do it. We'll talk about it. We will investigate it. We'll your family it and friends within the realm of entrepreneurship and, right. and uh, software engineering, right? Yes. Um, so if that doesn't come up over Christmas dinner, then bring it up with us on Twitter or wherever. Um, yeah, so let's see. I, a couple of things that I noticed on the stats. So our second most listened to country, first is United States. Second most is Saudi Arabia. And that's a, that took me by surprise. I did. Yeah, can, I know people listen to us on the whole other side of the planet. Can you believe that? So if you're in Saudi Arabia right now, uh, I guess big shout out. Yeah, big shout out to our <laughs> friends in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we listeners in local cities are big. So obviously Raleigh, Cary, Durham, and Fuquay, Verena pulling up number four spot right there. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then after that, we've got San Diego and Austin as being big listeners. So um, that's pretty awesome that we've got folks from out there listening in as well. I think we've locked up the dirty south. I think we have. Um, so let's let's get started. I, I want to remind people to review us, hopefully good, on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, once again, I'm Paul Merrill, my company, Beaufort Fairmont Automated Testing Services. Uh, our mission is to rid the world of bad code, and we do that through automated testing. Find us on the web at BeauftFairmont.com. And James? Yeah, so I run a, a software consultancy called Code Providence, and I help entrepreneurs uh, – create software that makes a big impact. 
Excellent. So without further ado, I want to welcome Mickey Jeffers and James Jeffers, our guests this week on the show. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you guys. Or we're James and I are glad to have you guys. <laughs> it's going to be odd. Like, are you going to be am, the inter- are you? I am one inter- of the people welcoming myself. <laughs> <laughs> it just got real meta in here. Um, well, cool. So, uh, what you know, I the reason that I wanted to have you on is I know James and Mickey that you guys have been working on a project and that it has finally launched. And I just want to hear you guys talk about it and tell us what you've been up to. So do you want to, do you want to talk? You can start. Okay. So, uh, yeah, basically we decided to create a consumer facing product, uh, and it's putting obituaries online. That's the real 30 second explanation. Um, but it's not just like a newspaper obituary. We wanted to create a space where people could create life stories about their loved ones. And this all came about because Mickey's father, Uh, passed away last year and Mickey had to go through the experience of finding a local newspaper writing the obituary getting to the newspaper and then getting shocked because the cost of uploading um, a simple paragraph and one photo was approximately $435 and so naturally my first thought was I did it wrong. I must have included some spaces, something like that. <laughs> so, you know, the funeral homes and newspapers online, they have uh, they have templates that you can use and you can upload this information and um, they'll, they'll cost it for you right then and there. And I was just stunned because <clears throat> my father would have been so irritated if uh, he would have known that I would have paid that much money for an obituary. And we're talking about an obituary in a very, very small town newspaper. We're not talking, um, you know, a metropolitan area. We're talking a little, a little town in the Panhandle of Florida, and it was still four hundred thirty-five dollars. And so. Um, you know, I, I, I said no. You know, we put in the one-liner that basically, you know, to gave his name, his uh, um, date of death, and where he was from, and we left it at that. And um, I just, I went to go look online to see what alternatives were available. And there are some um, competitive websites, Legacy.com, which is owned by Ancestry, and tributes.com but they had a look and feel that wasn't indicative of the story that I wanted to tell about my dad they all uh, they were either um, online presence that were very clouded with uh, you know lots of scrolling text or music uh, or emojis and it wasn't that's not my dad you know, I wanted something crisp and clean and modern and uplifting, and I wanted the ability to write the story and focus on the story and not have scrolling ads for, you know, asbestos lawyers on the side. Panel. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. And I did, so this, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, go ahead. You can ask. Well, your... So this was, this was last year, you said? Yeah. Actually, today is the one-year anniversary of his death, so he died wow. this time last year. Well, I'm really sorry for your loss, and I'm sure uh, all the listeners are too. And um, but what an interesting way to take a loss like that and turn it into something. He, he um, would find it hysterical to think <laughs> that his his death would be the catalyst for a small business because you know it's really funny that I used to um, 
you know, three months prior, I had, I was visiting him and I was talking to him about small business ideas or I really wanted a, a online business that would give us um, flexibility to be um, location independent entrepreneurs. Uh, but I just didn't have the idea. Also known as bums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a really great idea. Um, you know, and, and and I think seeing a niche like that and and going ahead and doing it is pretty cool too. Um, maybe maybe you guys could share a little bit about your backgrounds. I think I know your background, James. Mickey, I don't know much of your background, but maybe a little bit of kind of your your career to this point. And how things have kind of led you to doing this, and, and let's start with Mickey. Okay, so um, my background, my professional background, is I've worked for Fortune 500 companies my whole entire professional life, and I've worked in the supply chain, both in the retail and within the manufacturing side. Um, for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, I've worked for um, a computer company, a large-scale computer company. And I've worked in their uh, IT business transformation area, um, working on mergers, acquisitions, transitioning uh, these newly purchased companies onto our strategic platform. And in addition to that, working on supply chain projects to make our processes more efficient, profitable, you know, whatever the company needs. And, you know, we're, we're evolving so that that's not just a, a one-and-done type of activity it's it's always evolving sure and and james if you can give us a, a rundown of yours and and your career and and how it's gotten to this point that'd be probably helpful too i, I know for for myself when i listen to this kind of thing and i hear people starting businesses i want to know what it is what it is in their lives and their careers that got them to this point and what it is that that helped them right well you know um after my uh, back injury i couldn't professionally skate anymore so no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, so yeah, I've been working in. I worked for Bigco as a computer programmer, software engineer, uh, for a couple of years, and then I decided I I wasn't really cut out for cubicle land. So I left Bigco for a startup, and then that startup you know exploded during the dot bomb, and then I went back to Bigco as a contractor um, to feed my family, and then uh, I did that for another six or seven years. Got kind of heavily interested in things like test-driven design, continuous delivery, uh, tried to do another startup. Uh, and I, I kept you know going from like one company to the next before I finally realized I wasn't going to be happy until I worked for myself. And then I, I said, well, let me, let me try this independent consulting business. And that's what I've kind of been doing. And then, of course, as I've been doing that, I've been trying to develop uh, entrepreneurial um, irons and fire. And so... You know, I've been trying to figure out what, what would be the best way to do that. And this is probably the most advanced project that I think we've done. Uh, and I think at first I was kind of hesitant because it was a consumer-facing uh, uh, opportunity. And I've been kind of wary of doing that because it's, uh, it, it felt like it was much, much harder to do. So, uh, But Mickey was like, why don't, why don't we try this? And I was like, well, okay, yeah, I mean... You know, there's no reason not to. And we both kind of jumped in and started fleshing it out and trying to figure out what to do. And we can get into the details of that if you like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that people should know is, like, for my personality type, 
there are many, many times for years I've been badgering James about ideas, books and books, notebooks filled with ideas on potential small businesses. And one of the things that I know about myself personally is there are many cases in which the idea of something was far better than the actual reality. (laughs) And so, you know, my, my life is, is littered with, you know, things that I have tried where, um, the idea of it just was, you know, fantastical and the reality turned out to be, you know, not nearly as titillating. And so with this particular idea, um, I knew that the risk would be low. It's not like we're manufacturing something and I have to, you know, hold inventory or or something of that nature. But this type of idea is if if I don't like this idea, then I can pretty much know that entrepreneurship is probably not going to be the thing for me and I should continue to work for other companies because it is, you know, an online service. And so it's about as, as basic as it can be, but in actuality, you know, the, the product that's online, it has to be the best that it can be because that is the product. So it, if, if I don't like this, then I know that I need to stop and pick something else. You, you know, you, there were a couple things you, you said there that really stuck out to me. And I think you said two different things um, that sounded very different, but I think I, I don't know. It's just odd to me. One one thing that you said was, if this is not successful, then I'll know I need to go back and work for for a large company. The other thing you said was, um, if I find out I don't like it, then I'll know. Which of those was was more accurate? I think you were kind of correcting yourself when you said it. Um, you know, because it's so new, it's still in its infancy. I I don't have um, hours devoted in the project to say that, yes, I really like this or no, I don't. I see. It has all of the all the indicators um, so far lead me to believe that this will be a successful project. But, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic because we're right at the beginning of it. You know, we just deployed. Um, I think. Um, being that I kind of like, you know, having a plan B (laughs) and my my plan B is of course that I didn't quit my day job to do this project. I'm, I'm still continuing to work. Um, I think it's the, the statement was more of an emotional statement because there's been so many years of trying to, um, drill down to an idea. I have an idea and we're starting to execute now that, you know, if for whatever reason, if it does not come to fruition, if it's not successful, um, I'll be disappointed because this was supposed to be my plan B to escape corporate life, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that happens to a lot of people. It's nice that you bring that up because I know for myself at least that um, I, I really haven't, I've only produced a couple projects to, to actually get out the door and that I've tried to, to sell. Um, and but I've had so many ideas and I've had so many projects that started and didn't, didn't finish or, or I got a, I spent a year of extra time just after work or in the mornings or whatever working on it and just got to a point where I said, you know, that I don't see this working or it's, it's too far away still or whatever, for whatever reason I dropped them. And I, I think a lot of people probably are like we, we are where that's just something you have to suffer through. Is that something you think is probably global and, and do you think that it benefited you to, have gone through so many ideas and not done them? For me, yeah. I, I think it 
It did, because there were times where I had, had gone so far as to put, um, purchase business intelligence in areas and fields that I had interest in to see if it was worth doing it. I'm one of these people that I'm really big about putting it on paper. I know there's other people that would go out and max out their credit cards to make their dream come, you know, come true. I am not one of those people. <laughs> right. right. I, I, am, I am not going into debt just to get, uh, you know, a business going. Um, but, you know, when we crunched the numbers for this idea on paper, they were good. This was doable. The risk was low for us to be able to try this. And, uh, you know, when we've discussed this idea with people, it, we always got a very receptive response that, yes, this is, there's a need out there to fulfill this. You know, we want to reimagine um, online obituaries. It doesn't have to be solemn and gray and read like a, a you know, resume of somebody's life events. It could be more than that, so much more than that. Yeah, and I think it, I think the way with where technology is today and with where services like this and products like this are, there is so, so far this can go. I mean, I, I think you guys are at the very beginning and I, I think you know that. Um, are you excited about where you are so far? You said you just launched digitalobit.com. Um, how, how long ago was that? How are you feeling about things so far? So, yeah, I mean, the site has been, like when we say launched, like I think it's been like to the point where people could actually use it. Um, it's been like that for about a month. Maybe maybe six weeks, and so I could say that like with conference people could use it. We actually had uh, outsourced the development to another development shop over the summer, and supposedly at the end of that development cycle we would get everything that we wanted. Um, but I think as it turns out that really wasn't the case, and I had to put about forty hours. What? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard about this. You and I haven't talked about this. I haven't. In 100 <laughs> you haven't you, Our listeners have not heard about this. Right, right. Well, I think if you, if anyone had been a fly on the wall, they would have been like, okay, James, you've only mentioned this every single time okay. you've had a conversation. <laughs> but, but let's take a step back. So I think sure. a lot of people would say, all right, you're a software engineer. Yeah. You've got all the skills to do this. Why do you outsource? Well, okay, so... My first thought was I could write it myself, and I could. I could have easily have done that, uh, easily. Like, I think it's because I realized that I couldn't do the design uh, in, a, in a reasonable way. It would take me months and months to put together a design that I think um, Mickey would have looked at and not have screamed or scratched her eyes out. So yeah, I've seen his wardrobe. No. <laughs> yeah. So we knew we were going to have to get a professional designer, and we, we, we you know tried a couple of different people – and uh, eventually we realized we're going to have to plunk down serious big boy design firm money uh, you know, to get this done. And so we found a local design firm, and while we were talking to them, I said, you know, while we're talking about it, can you also give me a pricing option for uh, not only you guys doing the design but also doing the development? Because it seemed like uh, this is something that someone who is savvy with, like, say, WordPress could put something together – so, you know, I, I could do the development work myself, but I would have to give up a bunch of client work to get it done. So there was an opportunity cost. And for the price that we were quoted, I thought, it seems like a pretty good deal. I could have them do the development, and after two or three months, we would have the product and we could go. And I didn't have to give up that time myself, uh, you know, for my clients. So we went ahead and pulled the trigger on that. So 
and I think my other uh, desire was to see that if I could delegate development to somebody else besides myself, because that's a skill that I wanted to acquire and uh, develop myself. So, does that answer the question? Or am I just yeah, it, yeah. No, I think it does. So, so how much have you dug into the code since then? I mean, are you are you able? Were you able to delegate it out? And were you able to kind of be hands-off with this? Because it sounds like that was part of your goal. In the honeymoon phase of the project, you know, the first couple of weeks where you're seeing logo design, um, fonts, you're seeing um, preliminary frames and things like that, you get excited, right? Because somebody's cuting it up and it looks really pretty. It looks crisp and clean. You're talking to them. It sounds like they understand your vision. But it doesn't do anything. Right, it doesn't do it doesn't do anything yet, and so for that period where we're just seeing the visuals, that period was fine. It was very easy for us to come in and um, give direction because I had I had done some preliminary um, designs, and we're talking very basic in like Google Draw. And gave it to them so that they would have an idea of what the flow would kind of look like through the site. Um, and I was flexible. I mean, we're very flexible. We told them some of the, the uh, basic requirements that we needed on the site. We, we had written them down. We had given them a package. Um, and so, you know, past the logo, past the homepage... Um, really when we started to get into the functionality over the um, form and the, the look and feel, that's when we started to run into uh, a little bit of trouble because, I, um, you know, James and I both have backgrounds where we test, right? I test for my job, James tests his code, and I don't think they were quite prepared um, for the level of testing that we would do. Um, because when they would tell us, oh, we're done, you know, our, our communication was in the beginning just through email. And so it was little minor stuff, little tweaks. But when we started to dig in and actually run test scenarios on the process, there was, you know, we started making big lists in email and that was problematic. And then James had to step in and, you know, you can pick it up from there, James, and yeah, so I, I went back to the development firm and I said, you know, we're having we're having to manage this through email, and that's that's really difficult to do. Uh, and so I suggested that we use like a bug tracking tool. And the fact that I had to suggest that <laughs> was a red flag, and I didn't really at the time. I was like, you know, I just wanted them to get done. But looking back, you're kind of like, I don't know why I had to bring that up, why I had to manage the project from my side, and I. And so, you know, yeah, I was like, here, can we use, like, Trello to, to track some of the things that we're looking at versus what, you know, they said we were getting done? And I, and I think at the end of the day, what I figured out what was happening was they had, um, had kind of underbid the project. Uh, I don't think they understood exactly how much effort it was going to take. And they hired a guy to do it, to do the work. And they were communicating our desires to this guy and then the guy would do some work and he would communicate to them and then they'd relay it to us. Yeah. So it, it just wasn't – it wasn't the best setup for success. And um, by the time we got around to September or October timeframe, I was kind of like, okay, like <laughs> – like, I, I think we need to wrap it up, right? And just give us what you got and we'll go on from there. Because it seemed like there was enough functionality that 
you know, I could make it work. Um, and I was kind of eager to get it in my hands from an operational perspective. Like I wanted to get the site hosted. I don't want to get up and running. And they they really didn't do much beyond taking the code that we had and just literally FTPing it to the site and saying, okay, it's all done. Oh, and wow. they didn't use any kind of source code control um, that I know of um, because when I asked them for like, you know, can they just going to give me the repo from GitHub or they're going <laughs> to give me a copy of, you know, whatever source code control repository they were using, they kind of were like, well, we don't use source code control, which was another what, huge What is Gitpuck? What is Gitpuck? I don't know what Gitpuck is. Yeah. <laughs> what is this Gitpuck you talk about? So there's these red <laughs> flags, but who's, you know, is it our fault for not knowing and asking and, you know, writing that down? I think on some level it, it is. I mean, I don't know... You know, looking at their portfolio of work, it's not like we went with, like, the cheapest design firm that was out there. We looked at portfolios. We had interviews and conversations with them. You know, there's not like there's this little handbook of, you know, how to design and build a functional website. No. Especially for this type of functionality. And. And I think, um, I mean, there's some things that they should have should have done. I mean, we talked about testing, and the expectation was that they would conduct um, a reasonable end-to-end test because this is this is again very basic functionality. It's very basic to build a profile, to write the obituary, and to post it and get and, and pay for it. I mean, we're not talking a very complex set of uh, code here that they would it's it's very very user friendly this the site is the product that we're selling and right. so even if you didn't know anything about it anybody should have been able to sit down follow it through the process and you know have an opinion about what they're seeing especially if things broke and so they um, they did not do that on a, on a level that we would have found to be acceptable so gotcha. there was prodding on our part to get them to do that. I think part of it is what James said, is at some point they realized that they underbid and they weren't expecting to have people like James and I on the receiving end who would check their work. Right, right. It, it does seem like they want to deliver something that worked, though. I mean, I mean right. that's kind of important. Right. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It sounds like um, It sounds like you guys learned a lot. And I'm like you. I mean, what book can you go out and get? That tells you exactly how to build something brand new that nobody's a few other people have done, but nobody's done it exactly like you want to do it. Right. There's just not a book out there. So I I imagine you guys learned a whole lot. I kind of want to shift gears here. Um, I've pitched a lot of softballs, and I know that our rabid cult-like following on this podcast does not accept a lot of softballs. So now come the hardballs. So a lot of people would say, where do you get off? trying to make money off of some loved ones passing away um so where do we get off making money off of somebody passing away this service is an existing service that's out there and if there's anybody that's making money you can absolutely go to the bank with this statement it's the newspapers because it is a revenue stream and so this is an option for people who want to post obituary. And the great thing about digital obit that you get that a newspaper obit doesn't provide you is you have the ability to add as much content as you want. And so if you want to write a, you know, 10 pages of text, not a problem. If you want to upload 20 pictures, not a problem. You want to edit it six months later and add the cousin that you forgot? 
Not a problem. You can do that in digital obit. You cannot do that in a newspaper obituary. Once you push that button and you send it to the paper, it's printed and it's done. You make a mistake, oh well. Digital obit doesn't have that issue. It gives you the ability to go in and make changes, add information, add pictures. You can share it. There's a whole whole range of functionality that you don't get with the standard newspaper obit. And at at a flat fee of $99, that's not too bad. I don't don't feel like I'm taking advantage of of people. No, and I I don't think you are either. It's interesting. One thing you said there is that you allow people to go back and add things later on. Um, That's really interesting to me because how often are you at a funeral with your, you know, for your loved ones and you hear a story that you've never heard before and it's just a great story and you would love for everybody else to know it. I mean, that, that happens at almost every funeral I've ever been to is to hear something that you never would have heard before from somebody that knew your loved one in a different way and you'd love to share that. Absolutely. I mean, the kind of thing that I was hoping to see and what I want to see with the digital obit is to reimagine an obit so it doesn't read like, um, you know, just a set of facts about somebody. It's more information. It'll, if, if, if you were to read the obituary for my father, you would get a, a feel for the kind of person that he is. Knowing where he lived, where he died, all the, the facts, um, you know, like, you know, everybody was a good person. Everybody, you know, loved Jesus and, and their dogs and their kids. But more than that, you know, my dad loved racing cars and motorcycles, and he was a tinkerer, and he liked, you know, telling stories and fried fish and drinking. <laughs> and he liked motorcycles. And when you look at the picture in his gallery, um, you know, he lived in a fish camp on the Yellow River in the Panhandle of Florida, and there is no amount of persuading that I could do to move my dad toward the end of his life. And, <laughs> and why not? Because if you see the pictures of the river and you see where he lived, you can see why. He was, he was never going to be moved. And that's the kind of story that I want people to know about my dad. He was a character, and I wouldn't be able to tell that type of story in you know, a standard newspaper, you know. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Yeah. It does, um, it, go ahead. Go ahead, James. I was going to say, like, um, you know, when you ask that question about, uh, you know, why, why do you think you can make money, you know, providing this service, it does bring up, like, a twinge of discomfort I have when I think about, you know, how are we going to market this? Because it's it's not like a lot of other products where you can't really walk up to somebody if you're going to sell somebody something like say in a grocery store. You can say, oh, hey, are you looking to buy a new wine? Uh, are you looking to buy some snacks for your children's lunch? Hey, did somebody die? Would you like to buy an obit? I mean, they just right. don't yeah, really... It's a, it's a lot different. <laughs> yeah, and so it's the emotion. You can't really... I don't know. Like, I, I don't think we really... Have, have nailed down exactly what the best way to reach people who are who are looking for an obit but it's like at the same time it's like you don't really I don't feel like it would, it would be really great if we were too pushy like a lot of aggressive marketing you see for a lot of products uh, especially in this day and age where you can't open up a web page without getting hit by tons of ads and pop-ups and like all of that stuff especially with the realm of something as personal as your loved one died and you're just looking for a way to publicize their story it's like it's almost like we we really need to be careful about figuring out 
who's actually looking for an obituary? Who's actually looking yeah. about, you know, they're looking it's for so- a way to express that, like Mickey said, the story about their loved one. So that, I mean, we haven't, I don't think we've nailed that yet. We're still looking for the best way to figure out where to find those people and just say, hey, this is an, this is an option for you. And it's not going to be the right option for everybody. We're looking for people that are pretty much like us that are saying, we really don't want to use a newspaper. We want something that's more flexible. It's a digital format. It allows us to change it as we need to. And it's just not going to disappear after a few weeks in the paper. And I think yeah. the other thing that's really nice about the website is very crisp and clean. And so it's really not gummed up with a lot of advertising. And so when you look at it visually, when you're looking at the page and you're reading the obit, there are no other distractions. We're not pimping out the website to anybody who can put an ad on the side of it. You know, we're going to be very thoughtful about what's on that site. So if our if our customers um, at some point um, contact us and they say, hey, you know, I really would like a link to like a flower, you know, like 1-800-Flowers or something like that, then yeah, that's something that we'll add. But it's not there right now. There are no ads on the sidebars, and I don't have any intention of adding that stuff. I mean, we want it to be about the stories, the pictures. Yeah, and, and this was all something that I was going to ask next anyway about the fact that this is a really delicate type of offering. Um, and it sounds like you're approaching it with all the right intentions and all the right ideas. I mean, it, it, I think it's really comforting to know that there are people who are looking at this from the perspective of the individual who's posting this obit because it's someone who's either in a state of shock or they're at the end of a road that was very, very long, you know, or, um, or something like that. And it's, it's, um, it's a different state of mind. The person is that, that goes to do something like this and, uh, having an option aside from dealing with counting the number of characters that you try to place into a newspaper. I think that option is a really, really good option. And then to do it at such a fraction of the cost, because who wants to, who wants to spend somebody's, the, the money that they've worked for their entire life on an obit so, uh, like I said, I'm not going to ask the softball questions anymore. Um, so here's another hardball. How is it working together as a couple? So you guys are married. You've been married for how many years? I don't know, 16. It It'll be 17 years this summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, if, you're, if, if your wife doesn't know how many years it is, you're probably there are some, in, really, you know, in a good relationship. <laughs> right around the childbirth area, yeah, it baby got killed a lot of, Yeah, baby, baby killed, killed a lot of brain cells. cells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I hear you. Um, well, so, so how is it working together? Uh, it's definitely an added stressor um, because, you know, we, we are busy adults. So we've got, you know, our son... Which he's not like a huge footprint as far as like childcare because he's in his early teens, uh, but he's got his needs. Um, you know, we've got an agenda for you know his education and his extracurricular activities on top of our jobs. We both have full time jobs, um, and we've got uh, you know pets that need care, and you know we've got family members that need our time as well. Um, and on top of that, hey, let's start a brand new business, and that was something that we were concerned about because it's like, well, that's that's one more thing that we have to take care of. But, you know, I'll say for myself, it's like, well, is it is it more work and more hassle? Yeah, it absolutely is more work. And it is an additional hassle, especially, you know, over the summer trying to shepherd this thing to completion. But at the same time, I look at it as, like, this is a necessary step because what we're thinking about is this is a vehicle to, um, you know, this is diversifying essentially our retirement, right? Because... I think like most people, if you've got money, all your money's put away in mutual funds, 
you know, the vast majority of that is in the stock market. And I think, you know, just between you and me, Paul, like I think we've noticed over the last 15, 20 years that um, all kinds of interesting things can happen to the stock market. So we were like, maybe we should have money in other, other places. And so we were looking at different investment vehicles. And I said, you know, why don't we have our own business? Like that's, that to me seems like a, a solid investment. And the ROI on, on, on a solid business, especially like one like a digital digital offering like like this, that's going to beat the pants off a mutual fund, and it's something that can last a long, long time. And, and let's be clear, we are not making money right now. It is yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. going to be taking a significant amount of work. I think um, working together with James, we we are fortunate enough in that um, we don't have competing skill sets. And so the things that I'm naturally good at don't conflict with what James is naturally good at. So um, we can uh, we tend to collaborate together uh, fairly well. I think some of the areas where the stressor for me is that I there are times when I know that I have not um, devoted enough time to digital obit to. Um, you know, launch it like a rocket as opposed to, you know, like, oh, we've launched. <laughs> <laughs> like a barge easing its way into the river. <laughs> yeah. Because this is an area that's not my area of expertise. You know, I, I have an idea of who I want to go after. But like James said, you know, it's, it's a lot different when you're calling up somebody over this topic to tell them, you know, to, how do you let people know? Um, that this this service does exist without offending people um, and making your time count because our, our time is limited and so you know and I'm, and I'm just trying to find my way the marketing of digital obit is really going to be everything and our interaction with the clients is going to be everything and in my, my big dream for digital obit would be for it to be like a content site where people would even if somebody hasn't died those stories are so interesting that people will want to come and read, you know. Yeah. So that's a I have short term goals and long term goals, and and I'm not moving quick enough <laughs> to meet meet them right now. But I'm 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 going to get there. So that's, that's interesting, and I I think that pressure. Um, I think you're not alone in that kind of pressure, feeling especially the pressure on yourself. Um, so so look, if you guys have a decision to make. And there, there are two of you, and I figure you both have equal input into things. If you're both completely opposed to the other's view, who makes the decision on how you should move forward? I do. <laughs> Wait, why do you no, say that? I was thinking that you would say you, you would, we would do it in, in simultaneously, well, and you would say I do. The too. way you were threatened, it hit me in the face. <laughs> I had to cower and I couldn't respond. No, I was kidding. <laughs> I was looking. At, I was actually looking to her to defer to her because I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe because in this area I think I do let Mickey, uh, you know, get that final say because this is this is kind of the, her brainchild, and I think you know if if I believed it was something that was going to be so destructive as to you know completely shatter the business, I think I would dig my heels in, but. I think I've also learned that, you know, even though I think that I might be right about something, um, I'm willing to, you know, back off and, you know, kind of soak myself in the other person's experience for a while and kind of see it from where they're coming from. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
I, I think because Mickey was the one who came up with this, I think in a lot of ways I'm like, you know what? It's it's perfectly okay if if Mickey makes the decisions on a lot of, if we have a conflict. I don't think there have been too many. Uh, no, no. I mean, I think you know where where some of the information comes in. Like like for instance, um, do you remember when you were talking about features? And you were talking about like on on websites and and whatnot that you really shouldn't add because I when we started out I had a spreadsheet filled with all kinds mm. of stuff and James in the like that first two weeks he's like no no and I'm like James and I want and I want to be able to have like these buttons that link to one eight hundred flowers and I want to be able to have it for the whole entire world and you know he was like shooting me down like no no. <laughs> I, I think because in my mind, it's like, you know, like in the cartoons, when you see like a cartoon character and their eyes, you can just see the dollar bills <laughs> racking up and you see the numbers. Get, I, I could just see the hours of development going on in my eyes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, like let's scale this back a bit. But Mickey was like, no, I, I have a vision and I, I really want to have this vision realized. And I think that was probably the, in the beginning, probably one of the bigger conflicts. And I think it came down to basically saying, I'm not saying no forever. I'm just saying no, not right now. Like let's let's defer some of this until we get until we can get the basics down, and then we can we can add stuff in. Like we can always do that later, right? So, yeah. So I had to uh, temper a lot of the um, you know more advanced features that I was looking for on the site, and so I haven't I haven't given up on it. There there we we actually put it in the Trello board, and you know as as time passes and if if clients ask for it, then we'll add it in. So that's something that's a an opinion that James had at the beginning, straight from the beginning that I did not have that I have adopted now. So. Oh, about using uh, oh, uh, paring down of features and kind of going with a minimum viable product is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was concerned about that because you know for some people it's kind of like you know just like when you go to restaurants and you order food, people want big food because they they associate it with value, and if they saw a minimalistic site, would they assume that it wasn't? You know, there was something off about it, and really, I think that was addressed with the design. And so while it looks like, you know, I, I was concerned that it would look too austere and that people would not take it seriously because it didn't have the look and feel of other sites. Yeah, and I, well, it, it may turn out to be a strength for you. You don't know. I mean, it, when I look at it, it looks like a great site. I think you guys have done a terrific job and the designers did a good job and um, looks like it's going to work out really well. Um, you know, I don't know. I just wish you guys the best of luck. I think this is going to be really great. I think it's a, a wonderful option for people to have uh, to go to digitalobit.com. It's bigger than just a newspaper. You know, it's something that can be shared anywhere. It, it seems like the applications and the potential for it is absolutely enormous. Um, you know, I guess I'm out of hardballs now. I guess I'm out of hardball <laughs> questions. But uh, I appreciate your honesty, and I think a lot of people will appreciate your honesty and your responses. Um, I think there was a lot of that there, and I think that's good for people to hear, especially of your challenges and, and what's going on so far. Um, it is so easy to look at these ideas and say, oh, it's just a few lines of code, and I can I can knock that out in no time, and they get sucked in for years. Um, the fact that you guys have something up already is terrific, I think. Um, why, don't we, why don't we leave with a couple things? Um, one, I want to ask you if there's anything that I've left out that you guys want to talk about, about the site or about your experience. But before that... 
what are the biggest lessons that you've learned, each, oh, yeah. each of you, Mickey and, and James? You can go first, James. I've learned that um, uh, really the most important lesson is love. It, it's always, it's always, no. It, um, I think for me, like not assuming that uh, your developers out there in the world all have the same standards that, that you have. And if you're going to do the outsourcing, like you can't just let those uh, those assumptions stand. You have to get them out in the open and ask questions and and really start to examine. Here are my assumptions about what I think a good development process is going to involve: testing, source code control, uh, periodic reviews, you know, uh, a bug tracking system. Like these are the I know what what makes a good software project and whether the markers are success or not. And I just assumed everyone else was going to be the same. So for me, like that was a big lesson. Um, for me, I think one of the things that I, I thought was kind of chilling toward the end was the amount of money that we paid was not insignificant. And if James wasn't a software engineer and, and, um, and if it was just me, I would not have the, the knowledge to be able to pull back the covers and look at what you know, was received and determine whether that quality was good or not was it scalable for the future were the basic standards there and so i think if if i were to do this again like let's say that you know you know james james gets hit by a bus i i would seriously contemplating hiring a another third party to come in solely to look at you know what was delivered and is that quality good because if if you can't make those decisions you know and, and you could be you could be in trouble because there were some things that we discovered after the fact that would have wouldn't have been an issue on day one or day two, but as we scaled, as we got more customers and clients, and as there was more you know activity on the site, we found some things that would would have definitely been an issue. And James was able to address them, um, you know, because he knows what he's looking for. So yeah, yeah, very cool. Very cool. What else do you guys want to talk about? What haven't we hit on that you would like to, to leave out there for our listeners? I think we I think we hit all the main bases, and I don't think there's anything that's in the back of my mind that says, "Oh yeah, don't forget to tell them about X." Right. Well, listen, I, I think this is going to be really successful. I'm I'm excited about it. I think the marketing thing, like you said, is going to be a challenge. I really look forward to hearing more about it and how you all approach it and what you learn from approaching something as sensitive like this. One thing that sticks out to me right away with, with some of that is that, you know, a, a plumber is a plumber, right? At some point, you're going to need a plumber. It's the same thing with funeral homes or obituaries. At some point, you're, you're going to need one. And this is a great option for that. Um, it's just a fact of life. And um, I, I think it's a really good opportunity what you guys have put out there for people. I can't wait to hear of all the successes that come in the future. And we want to have you guys back on when... Uh, when you've you, you know when you've posted a thousand obits or ten thousand obits, cool. If we get to ten thousand obits, we may be selling the side. We, no, when, I don't know. I, when <laughs> when you get to ten thousand <laughs> obits, I'll tell you what, so. we'll, we'll either a hundred obits or or next year at this time. Yeah, <laughs> all right, all right, that's time. cool. That's cool. Let's let's write it down, put it on the calendar, and do it. Um, excellent. Well, you guys have been so much fun. Um, you know, that's James and Mickey Jeffers from digitalobit.com. I really appreciate having you guys on tonight. Uh, James, why don't we close out the show here? 
to all our listeners, we really do appreciate the heck out of you listening to us, um, especially to Hasim that has listened quite a number of times on on SoundCloud. Shout out to Hasim. Um, keep listening to us. Let us know what we can do for you. I am on Twitter at dpaulmerrill. James is on JD Jeffers, and our this show is on Reflection AAS on Twitter. Um, make sure to catch up with us there. Give us any feedback you have. Follow us on those sites. Uh, check out the website, reflectionasaservice.com. Sometimes we post extras about the shows on there uh, in blog posts and things like that. Anytime you need to get a hold of us, you've got ways to do it. Go out to iTunes or SoundCloud and please give us a good review. Uh, we, we'd love to, to hear what your thoughts are. Right. Thank you very much and have a good one. Good night, folks. <laughs>